Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me, please. And as you are turning there, can we just say and give a hand clap of praise to Chris Duke and the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, a special thanks to Chris Duke because he was filling in for Britain at a, at a, at a last moment because uh, uh, Britain came in direct contact, and so we are taking precautions, and so we want to be wise and how that all handles and how we handled uh, that, but, uh, but Chris, thank you so much for stepping in at a very, very uh, last uh, notice. We thank you for that. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Today we are going to uh, finish chapter 4. We still have several more chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, but we're going to conc- uh, finish chapter 4 today uh, on this uh, Valentine's Day. And um, uh, since it is Valentine's Day, I want to say this. I've got some uh, uh, great news for all the women in the worship service today. Ladies, are you ready for this? I'm going to speak to the men in the service today. All right? I'm going to speak, just for a little bit, speak to the men, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they're married, whether they're single, whether they're fathers, whether they're wannabe fathers, or whether they're like, uh-oh, I am about to be a father. I'm going to speak to you guys for just a few moments. And so, so women, right now, I want you to look at the men in your life, husband, granddad, son, and I want you to look at them and say, this is for you, listen up. And men, look back at the women and say, yes, ma'am. I want to speak to you for just a few moments, not for the entirety of the message, but just for a few moments, because, man, I believe this. Man, I believe that uh, we are hardwired in our pursuit of success, we are hardwired to be individualistic. We are hardwired to be our own man. Isn't that right, men? Wives, tell them to say yes, please, just tell them to say yes. We're hardwired to be our own men, right? And we've, at times, we've used phrases like this. You know, I got to do what's best for me, or you've said something like this. You're not the boss of me. Anybody ever thought that before? We've thought those phrases before, and, and, and ladies, I'm going to let you know, let you in on a little secret about men here on this Valentine's Day. Ladies, there's a time when we men, we get together, and it's just men. And in every conversation with men, one man will stand up and say, you know, men, last night I had had to put my foot down with my wife. And all the men in the circle will say, that's right, you got to do what you got to do. But secretly, all of us are going, man, he ain't got a chance. That's what we're thinking. (laughs) Isn't that right, men? And we're thinking that. but, uh, uh, But because really the reality is this. It's not just men who say, you're not the boss of me. Isn't that right? Men don't say a word. Right? It's not just men who say that. It's it's men and women who say the same thing, right? That I don't want anybody to be the boss of me. I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm my own person. I will do what I want to do. If you're a parent, you know this all too well, amen? If you're a parent, you know this as you raise your sons and your daughters. There is something that is built into them where they come out with these words, I don't need help, I do it myself. 
They just come out speaking those words for whatever reason, but we know that this is the reality of humanity. The reality of humanity, whether it's men or women, the reality is this. We want self-autonomy. We want to do what we want to do, and we do not want anybody to tell us differently. And if you tell us differently, well, then we're going to come at you because you're trying to be the boss over me, and ain't nobody a boss over me. Anybody with me this morning? I think in America and our Western culture, the drive for individualism and the drive to be autonomous, self-autonomous, is the curse of our culture. It's the curse of our culture to where that we have bought the lie that we are our own God. Now, you and I both know this. Most humans are not arrogant enough to say that I am my own God. But our actions often say something differently. Me, myself, and I. Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, Solomon, as we have studied over the past several weeks, as he's looking and searching for the meaning of life, he's going to give to us the perfect antidote to individualism. He's going to give the perfect antidote to this, to this self-autonomy that, that I believe infects our society. And, and let's just be real for a minute. It actually contaminates the Christian faith. Do you think selfish, selfish, uh, selfishness can, can uh, uh, infect a church? You bet it can. And so many times the body of Christ and churches split over selfishness. And so in Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 16, Solomon is going to give us an antidote to this individualism. And I think this antidote to the Western culture that I am my own God. And in our text, Solomon's going to lay out, there's a better way to live. There's a better way to live. And he's going to say it is countercultural, meaning you live the way uh, the Bible wants you, the way that Jesus wants you to live, it is going to be countercultural, which means students, middle school, high school, college, it means you're going to go against the flow. It means you're going to look different. And it means that people are going to come after you because you're not doing it the way the world wants you to do it. And Solomon goes at it. One of the things I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is it's not afraid. Solomon's not afraid to wrestle with the difficult questions of life. He's not afraid, nor should the church be afraid, because we know the answer. We know the solution to all of life's problems, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let me just remind you of the setting for the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the teacher, the Koheleth, that's what we find in chapter 1, verse 1. Solomon, who is later in his life, he has called together an assembly. He has called together a group of people, and they've asked, he said, I want you to come and listen to what I have to say, because I have searched for the meaning of life. And scholars will say, and scholars are pretty much in agreement on this, that this assembly is made up of men. 
It's made up of men, listen, who are living in an economy that was driven by selfish individualism. At this time of writing, when Solomon is king near the end of his life, uh, Israel is thriving, one of the high points of the nation of Israel. It's thriving. Uh, The economy is, is good. Fortunes could be made very, very quickly, but just as quickly as it could be made, it can be lost. And Solomon even alludes to this earlier in chapter 4 when he says this, the culture is a culture of envy, meaning if somebody does better than you, then I've got to do better than them. And he creates this rivalry, rivalry. and in Solomon's eyes, it is a dog-eat-dog world. Do you think we're still living in a dog-eat-dog world? Everybody say, rough. (laughs) You bet we are. Yes, we're living in a dog-eat-dog world. And so in this setting, Solomon, the teacher, the Koheleth, who's lived life, who's done everything imaginable known to man, and come out saying, man, this, what I've been doing doesn't make sense. Now he comes at the end of his life and says, listen, if you want to find meaning, if you want to find meaning, you got to do it different than the world does it. Because if you continue to do it like life under the sun, which is code for without God, doing it the way the world wants to do it, Solomon's going to tell us over and over and over again, then you are just wasting your time to do it the way the world wants you to do it. So he says, be countercultural. So let's look at verse number seven. I want you to write this down. Three ways he tells us to be countercultural. Number one, he says this, a solitary life is futile. A solitary life is futile. Word solitary means lonely or friendless. Futile means without point, meaning this. If you choose to live a solitary life of loneliness and without friends, Solomon's going to tell you right now that that profits you nothing. You do not gain anything. So look at this, verse number seven, and he writes, Then I looked again. I looked again at vanity under the sun. He's looking at life without God. And he says in verse number eight, he gives us an illustration. He says, there was a certain man without a dependent. He didn't have a son nor brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Um, That word uh, dependent in verse number eight, it literally means in Hebrew, it means a partner. It means a partner. Somebody who comes beside you. It's it's a buddy. It's, It's a friend. And so Solomon comes along and he's telling this assembly, he's saying, this certain man doesn't have a buddy to share his life with. Now there is no, and I just want you to take a step back for just a second, do not put today's culture into the reading of this text. Are you with me? There is no romantic innuendos in the word partner. Are you with me? Look at your neighbor and say, I think so. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's a friend. That's it. It's a friend. And Solomon says, this man doesn't have a buddy, doesn't have a friend to share his life with. And he says in this text that this man, this loner who has no friends, he is a workaholic. And he is working, working, working. Um, If you want to write uh, uh, this down in the margin of your Bible, write this, Ebenezer Scrooge. This is it. 
This is Ebenezer Scrooge. He works, he works, he works, he counts all his money, but then he goes home to a cold, dark, drafty house, and he goes to bed, and he goes to bed all alone. He wakes up, and he does it the next day, and does it all over again, and he is just a mean guy, and nobody likes him. This is Solomon painting the picture of Scrooge. He has no friend, has no brother, has no family. He has nobody that he loves. The Hebrew text literally says this, there was a person and he had no second. He had no second. Well, what does that mean? It means he's a loner by choice. Now, Solomon is not saying that it's, that it's wrong to be alone. There are times in our life when everybody has to step back from the crowd and we need to be alone. Are you with me? There's times when life happens, you just have to pull yourself back where you're alone where you're by yourself. This is not what Solomon's talking about. Solomon is talking about somebody who has chosen loneliness, who has chosen, I'm not going to have any friends, and I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you say. As a matter of fact, I am going to work as hard as I can to gain all the riches that I possibly can. But I'm going to do it myself, my way, with no friends. Well, look at verse 8. What, 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 is, what is the evil in verse 8? Where's the evil? The evil is this, that this man that Solomon has observed, he's trying to find meaning in life, but he has decided to accumulate wealth at the expense of relationships. Meaning this, he is wanting to gain things. He wants to focus more on things rather than on people. Do you know anybody like that? Where that they just want to gain everything, but they disregard people. Anybody know the name Ty Cobb? Anybody know the name Ty Cobb? Here's a picture of him right up here. That's Ty Cobb. And uh, Ty Cobb um, was born in northern Georgia and known as the Georgia, up in the back row, Peach. He's a Georgia Peach. Ty Cobb, one of the best baseball players of all time. A Hall of Fame, and I think today... I don't know if I'm 100% correct on this, but I think he still holds the highest batting average in, in a season. Uh, if not, it's one of the very top. But he is one of the best baseball players to ever play the game, made it even into the Hall of Fame. But what people don't know as well is that he was also one of the dirtiest and the meanest players of all time. Stories have said that he would sharpen his spikes before each game so that when he would slide into the base, he would do damage to that other player. It was said this of, of uh, Ty Cobb, he said this of his drive for winning, that he would do everything it takes to win a game, even sliding over his grandmother. That's not good. But this is Ty Cobb, one of the best baseball players in history, but also one of the meanest and the nastiest. Near the end of his life, Ty Cobb was quoted as saying this, if I had to do it all over again, I would have more friends. I'd have more friends. You know, the Bible says this, that a friend loves at all times. That there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That iron sharpens iron. And, and Solomon comes along and he says this. And, and listen, he's speaking to men who are trying to make a name for themselves, trying in their mind, think, well, i got to support my family. i got to get all this. i got to make the money while I can make the money. Solomon says, says this, if you choose to live your life like Ebenezer Scrooge, you will not profit anything. 
It's all going to waste, meaning you can't find meaning chasing riches and doing things all alone and rejecting people. You can't do it. Now, this is Solomon coming to the end of his life. He's telling these young men, this assembly, listen, listen, don't go after it. Uh, Vince Lombardi, sorry for all of the sports analogies, but Vince Lombardi, uh, the great Hall of Fame football coach, it was said of Vince Lombardi that his dad had a tattoo on, on his hands. His dad, it said that his dad had certain words tattooed on his finger on each hand. On one hand, he had the word tattooed work, W-O-R-K, work hard. And on the other hand, it had the words P-L-A-Way, why way why play the idea was you work hard but then you play hard that's pretty good so I encourage you all to go home and get a tattoo (laughs) I don't know I don't know but Solomon says Ebenezer Scrooge you can't win you're not going to find meaning you will not find meaning in this life outside of friends a loner you can't do it. So he gives us a negative example to be countercultural. I, I, I believe this. Well, I'll share this in just a few minutes, but write this down. Here's the second thing that Solomon says We were made for relationships. We were made for relationships. Uh, look at verses 9 through 12. Solomon is going to give us some relationship advice. And he's going to contrast the Ebenezer Scrooges of life with a person who has a second. Look at verses 9 through 12. You're going to be very familiar with this text. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. What Solomon is saying is rather being the guy in verse number 8 who chased all things at the expense of relationships, Solomon says, men, he says, men, as he's speaking to the assembly, he says, men, go get yourself a partner. Go get a friend. Go get somebody. Now, I know that many of you, you've heard this text, actually 9, 10, 11, 12, you've heard this text primarily at where? Say a wedding ceremony. That's right. You've heard this at a wedding ceremony. But let me tell you a little something. The context of this is not a wedding. It's not, the context is not a marriage. Is there application? Absolutely, there's application, but that's not the context. The context is Solomon speaking to these men. He says, listen, two are better than one. You can't do it alone. You can't live life alone. You can't do it. He says, go get some friends. Go get some friends. And then over the next couple of verses, Solomon is going to give us four reasons why we need to have friends and why that is countercultural and why this is, this is why we need to be in community. In verse 9, it's, he says that, that two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. I want you to write this down. Uh, being in community is smarter. Having friends is smarter. Having friends, a group of people that you can connect with, it's smarter. That's what verse number 9 says. Look at verse number 10. For if either of them falls, then one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Solomon says not only is having friends smarter, it's also safer. It's safer when you have friends. It's safer when you're with other people. Verse 11, furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Solomon is saying to these men, listen, when you're with friends, not only, not only is it smarter, not only is it safer, but there is support. There is a support system. Now, again, let me remind you, 
in verse, of 11, verse number 11, do not put any um, of today's language into these verses. Are you with me? Don't do that. Because let me give you the visual here, what Solomon is thinking about. He's thinking it's a Middle Eastern culture. And so in the Middle Eastern culture, 3,000 years ago, you had to walk everywhere. So if somebody wanted to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho or wherever, um, they would walk, but they would not carry blankets with them. But they would have a partner, a buddy. And at nighttime, they would stay close together to stay warm. Are you with me? This is what Solomon is referencing. He's saying two are better than one. It's smarter, it's safer, there is support. Then look at verse number 12. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Which means this, when you have friends, there is stability. Amen? Three of you said amen. This is going to be a great. You're going to walk out saying, I have no idea what Pastor Chris said today. But it was good. Right? And Solomon says, listen, two are better than one, meaning don't go at it alone. He says, go find some buddies. Now, if you know this, life is made up of friends, your pals, your partners. Listen, I enjoy spending time with my wife. I enjoy spending time with my daughters. It means I'm the only guy in the house. So ever so often, I need to go hang out with some hairy-led guys, amen? I need to go hang out with them. I need to go talk with them. I need to, uh, I need to go eat with them and go, go do something, uh, go play golf, go run, or, or we, we eat and we talk and we just tell stories of how great we were in high school and we all reminisce with one another. But we need that. I need that. And so do you. You need that friendship. You need you need community. And I think if there's one thing that we can learn from 2020 and COVID, it is this. That when we never see people face to face, it hurts. Are you with me? It hurts. Students, I, middle school, high school, college, I, I, I hurt for you for having to take a majority of your classes via Zoom meetings, Google Meets, and all that. I hurt for you. And we can all say that technology is great, and I'm thankful that technology allows us to do that. But here's what I know. The screen will never replace face-to-face contact. It'll never do it. And one of the things that I've learned through this whole COVID process and, and returning back to worship is this. When we as a church come back together and we're in the same room worshiping together, whether we are social distancing or whether we are next to each other, whatever, it is, there is just something about it when we come together and we're in the same room and we are close to one another. There's something about the body of Christ when we come together, it is like we are family. Are you with me? We are family. Why is this true? Because this is how the Bible, or this is what the Bible says, is how God created us. We're created to be social beings, and there's something about that distance between technology that you don't have that full connection. I'm thankful for it, and I'm thankful for those who are watching by uh, Facebook or by our internet, and I'm so thankful for that, but it never replaces the local church. Why? Because we're made to be with one another. 
We're made to be close to one another. That's why we have Sunday small groups, because, because in a room this size, there's very little chance to, to connect with one another, because you got this guy on the stage who won't stop talking, and you want this chance to, to, to reach and to connect with one another. Listen, but the Bible tells us that we, that we are created um, as social beings. And Solomon wrote that 3,000 years ago. He knew something, and he listened, and he said it to men. He said it to men. Men, we are, we are social beings. Now, I know studies will show that women have a tendency to be more social beings than men are. But Solomon speaks to men. He says, men, you be social. What does that mean? That means, men, you cry. You laugh. It means you, you hug pre-COVID, right? I mean, you fist bump, or, but it means you connect with one another. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. You go look in the New Testament. Jesus said this. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Be social. Jesus himself even acted on the wisdom that Solomon said, two are better than one. Jesus could have been a, a, a solitary a figure where he said, you know, I'm the son of God. I can just go wherever I want to go. I can do it my way. He's the only person who could really say that and get away with it, right? But he chose to walk with at least 12 men. Are you with me? Jesus himself even chose to walk with the body of men. And in that group, he even chose three specific. He, were th- he was there. And Jesus even said, when he, when he told the disciples, as I'm about to leave, you need, to, you need to go out, Jesus sent them out two by two. He did not send them alone. Let, let, students, I, I want to say something to you right now, students. I have a hard time believing, I have a hard time believing when you come to me or another uh, pastor, teacher, or, or a mentor, and you say, I believe that God's telling me to do this, and I need to do it alone, and nobody else needs to go with me, and I, I don't need any help. I have a hard time believing that's what God told you to do. Because there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing. But here's what the Bible says. I do know that God speaks through the body of Christ. He speaks through everybody. He speaks from the old to the young, to the young to the old. And so he does not speak to you and you alone, and nobody else knows about it. That's not the way God works. Are you with me? Some of you aren't. It's always in a body. It's always in a body. It's always together. We are better together. And it's no different for the body of Christ. Paul would say this in one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. When he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, he said this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but out of pure humility, consider others better than yourself. That's countercultural, isn't it? That's different. And oh, if the world could see believers doing that and seeing churches doing that, putting the interest of others before them and living the way of Jesus Christ. Oh, and Solomon says this 3,000 years ago. You have friends. Go be a part of a group because you won't survive alone. Anybody with me this morning? Y'all ready to get alone? I'm glad you laughed on that one. Here's the third thing. Solomon says in your search for the meaning of life, a solitary life is futile. We were made for relationships. And now he's going to revert back to a, a, a negative observation. He's going to say this. He says this. Write this down. Popularity is fleeting. Popularity is fleeting. 
Watch this. Look at, let's read verses 13 through 16, and then we're going to be done. Verse 13, Solomon says, A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. What does that mean? What is Solomon saying? Solomon is saying this. When you get old, don't stop learning. When you get old, don't stop learning. He's saying when you get old, don't think that your way was the best way and the only way. That's what he's saying. But he's also saying to the young person, don't think that your way is the best and the only way. Because it's not. Because the Solomon has already told us, seasons come, seasons go, there's nothing new under the sun. So he says to the old and to the young, don't think that your way is the best way and the only way. Don't think that, verse 14. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. Verse 15, Solomon says, I have seen I have seen all the living under the sun, a throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. Meaning this, it is popularity. That means this, that the, that the crowd has turned against the old man and they go follow this young man and he is at the height of his popularity. Then look at verse 16, but it says this, but there is no end to all the people, to all who are before them and even the ones who will come later who will what? Not be happy with him. For this too is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is Solomon saying? Solomon is saying this. Being popular and being famous, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. And he's saying to the men, he said, your goal is not to be popular. And your goal is not to be famous. Your goal is not to get, uh, to to make a, a video TikTok, social media, Instagram, and make it go viral. That's not the goal of your life. This is what he's saying. That's not the goal. I think when Solomon writes this, I think he's thinking of his dad. Y'all remember the story of his dad, David? David, a very popular man. But as he goes on in his kingdom, his popularity begins to wane. And the next thing you know, his son becomes king. And they throw a big party for his son Solomon to become king. Solomon has experienced this, and he has seen it well. And Solomon says this, listen, people are going to forget you. Even if you're popular and you're famous, people are going to forget you. Let me tell this two stories, and we'll be done. Some of you may not remember this name, but Don Meredith, who is a former Dallas Cowboys quarterback and TV analysis of yesteryear, he would be the Tony Romo of today. Don Meredith said this about quarterbacks. Today you're in the penthouse Tomorrow, you're in the outhouse. I think that's a pretty good picture of life, is it not? You know, as I look across this room, I see a lot of older senior adults who, they would acknowledge that statement. But I see a lot of younger faces going, I I don't get it, Pastor, because we're... Many of us may be in the middle of our life trying to make a name for ourselves, And we're trying like crazy. And you're running the rat race. And Solomon says, you can't do it. You can't do it. Well, at the end of chapter 4, Solomon really doesn't give us a solution, does he? He doesn't give us a solution. Now, later on in chapter 12, he's going to give us a solution to this. And the solution to to not wanting to be alone, not wanting to be 
popular, that you won't find satisfaction in there, but we need to be with other people. The solution is ultimately going to be this. In order to find satisfaction, in order to find meaning in life, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. Jesus said these words. He says, if anyone would come after me and be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and deny himself. He said, if you want to find satisfaction, if you want to find meaning, if you want to find purpose, if you want to be satisfied in life, here's the way to find satisfaction. It's self-denial. It's not self-individualism. It's self-denial. When you think of others first, when you put others first, when you put think of others, when you put Jesus first, and here's what I know that self-denial is not a once one-time decision. You have to do it every moment of the day. Amen? Self-denial. That's hard. Especially in our society that says express yourself, assert yourself, indulge yourself. But listen, folks, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says deny yourself. He says deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And when you follow me, it's countercultural. You'll go against the flow, and people won't like it. But you stay the course. You stay true to me. You do what my word says, I promise you. I promise you, I will meet you all the way through. And when it's time for you to leave this earth and you enter into my kingdom, you will receive your reward. But he says, you got to give your life to me. He says, give your life to me and do it my way. Do it my way. Because under the sun without God, it profits you nothing. Well, I read a story this past week about a couple of hikers coming down the Himalayan mountains. And as they were walking down the mountains, they found a body laying in the snow and they one of the men, these two men, walked up to this man in the snow, and the first man said, let's, let's, let's help this man. We need to get him down. He's cold. He's, he's frozen. We need to make sure that he lives, and let's get him down. Well, his partner, his companion, said, no, I'm not going to help him. I'm not going to help him all. And his partner said, we're going to die ourselves if we burden ourselves with this man. I'm out of here. Well, the first man said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here, and I'm going to help this man. So his companion went on and went on down, down the mountain. And so this first man bent down and, and lifted up this, this other man who was hurt, frozen, cold. He put him on his shoulders and began to carry him down the mountain. And gradually, the warmth of the first man's body began to warm up this frozen man, began to warm him up and begins to show more signs of, of life. And as I get to get into the mountain, uh, this first man and this frozen man, they begin to talk and have conversations. And as they get near the base camp, they find the companion who refused to stop and help. They found him frozen and dead. As I read that story, I just began to think and reflect on Ecclesiastes 4, reflect on Jesus' word says, deny yourself. And I thought to myself, you know, the one who tried to save his own life, lost it. But the one who was willing to give up his own life for another saved his own life. 
Is that not a picture of what Jesus has done for us? And he's asked us to do the same. He's asked us to carry the burdens of others. Well, pastor, I don't want to do it. Then go alone and you'll find no profit. Or you bend down and you pick up those who are hurting and you take care of them. And in turn, you'll save your life and you'll save his. All because this is what Jesus did for us. So today, are you willing to deny yourself and take up the cross of Jesus? For that's where you're going to find life and that's where you'll find satisfaction. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for the dedications that we saw this morning of the young lives who are just beginning. Father, I pray that you would watch over them and keep them and protect them, and I pray one day that they would learn to deny themselves. Father, for us this morning, the topic of denying ourselves is extremely difficult. It's countercultural. We're told to indulge in our desires. We're told to, it's all about us. Have it your way. It's all about us, all about us. And Solomon says, no, Jesus, you say no. You say, surrender yourself, surrender your rights, surrender everything to me. Father, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we'd be a church. I pray that we'd be a people who do that. That we would surrender our lives, choose not to live in loneliness, choose to live in community, and choose to deny ourselves. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today that they would bow the knee. Bow the knee, bow their heart to you, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because in you, that's where we find life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.